Welcome back to another Commodity Conversations. This week we have a conversation between Robert Herman of Mercado and the legendary Mike Stevens of Meridian Agriculture. Succession planning is an extremely difficult topic and it's one that we believe that people should start thinking about as soon as they start entering a business. Uh, they should be really thinking about, you know, are they going to pass it on to the family? Where's it going to go? How are we going to do it? Because one of the worst things that can happen is, uh, you know, when, God forbid, uh, somebody passes away that there's no real plan in place to uh, pass on to the other family members. So we think it's important that uh, succession planning is thought of as extremely uh, pivotal part of any business. Without further ado, we're just going to introduce our... A sponsor for this podcast and then we'll jump straight into the conversation with with Robert and Mike. At Mercado we don't just provide online market analysis that's what we're most known for but we do do a lot of work when it comes to one-on-one consultancy and also project work with with, with various businesses and uh, government stakeholders. Uh, in recent times we've had more and more requests from from clients about transferring money overseas that may be, for instance, for buying equipment or, or buying inputs. And one of the companies that, that we've worked alongside to to put uh, clients together with has been a Western Union. And most people will have heard of Western, Western Union as, as being a, a money transfer service. And, and they, they provide our clients with, with well, pretty fast you know, and reliable money transfers, and, and it's fairly convenient. And what is interesting about this group is that uh, Western Union is actually looking to increase their services into the ag sector. So they've been uh, they've been very helpful and they've provided the support to make today's podcast go ahead. So it's a real pleasure of mine to be um, having a conversation today with Mike Stevens. And uh, one of the reasons it's a pleasure is that I recall back when I first started on the road, making sure I was in the car on a Friday afternoon because at the end of the country hour, if I recall this correctly, Mike, uh, Michelago Mick came on. And Michelago Mick was uh, full of sage and, and clever words, and, but he was really poking fun at some of, the, some of the funny things that went on. So can you add anything more to my recollection of Michelago Mick for your story, Mike? Welcome, by the way. Thanks, Robert. Michelago Mick was a cartoon on radio. It was a poem, a new poem every week, uh, trying to take uh, a different look at things, to see things from a different slant, maybe to turn things up and down, upside down, uh, maybe to poke fun at the industry, maybe to poke fun at me. And, so, uh, so, so, Mike, just put you on the spot here. You must remember one paragraph of a poem or a verse as an example, because there'll be people here thinking. What are they talking about? Well, there's there's one famous one at the end of a um, poem after the time when uh, Paul Keating had accused Bob Hawke of saying that we were the arsehole of the world. So the end of the poem that week was, so maybe cheating really said the words that Squawky claimed, we're just the arse end of the world. Do you all feel defamed? While Paul and Bob both carry on and brawl in public view, if we're the arse end, tell me, Paul, are you just passing through? <laughs> Very good. And and actually, a lot of people will still remember those, uh, those lovely, um, the tater tate that Bob and Paul had. But um, 
one of the things you wanted to talk about is probably a subject that, that I know is, is probably your special subject. And it relates to, um, it's one of those words and conversations that, um, needs a lot more work in agriculture. And it's, re- and it's around succession planning. I just want to tell you, Mike, I think succession planning by a lot of family farms is looked on a bit like calculating cost of production or doing a farm budget or maintaining a farm budget. We all know it's important. We all know we should spend more time at it, but it actually gets put to one side because it's complicated and difficult. What do you think about that idea? Well, I think it does get put to one side. I think it's more important than the cost of production and the budget things that you talk about because it's it's whether or not the business is prepared to invest the time in real strategy development. So the cost of production is useful to you in developing a strategy. Uh, doing a budget, I, I think, is essential, but I always have. But very few farms move away from... Uh, and many of them very good at, at the day-to-day operation and planning what's happening on a, a day-to-day basis. But to really start thinking strategically, where's this business going to be in 10 or 15 years' time? How am I going to get it there? What what are we going to do as a family to arrive at that point in the future that we want to be? And to me, succession planning is is an extension of and central to that strategic planning. That's, um, I mean, that's a big effort for a lot of people, isn't it? Because because we know that farmers are, really love to focus on the doing things, the production things, mm-hmm. you know, putting a seed in the ground and seeing the results, um, you know, shearing a sheep, um, creating, a, you know, a self-replacing cow herd. This business bit, though, it's it's all, you must feel at times like we've been whistling in the wind a little bit because it's not a new concept that people need to, or especially Australian farming families need to focus on this part of the business, but you still hear those horror stories. Well, yes, but remember this is, even for those farmers who have said, uh, yes, uh, we need to be thinking strategically, yes, we understand that the business is important, yes, we've got to be managing the business, uh, working on the business as well as in it. Even for those farmers who have taken that step. The succession planning one is difficult because often they come up against a wall of uh, wanting to be able to ensure that the farm stays in the family, wanting to be able to treat their children equitably, fairly, maybe equally. And the reality is that for most far, in most farming situations, they're not going to be able to have a viable farm and have funds to retire and treat the children anywhere near equally. So they go down the they, they start to go down the path of succession and then they can see it's coming like a steam train towards them. Uh, this issue that's going to have to be confronted is the farm is it more important to keep the farm? or they have an equitable uh, split of the assets, so they do nothing. I, I read in one of your um, publications where you talk about this, where you've said succession planning is about letting go. Yes, it's about letting go. It's, it's a process. So 
let's think, Rob, about what succession planning is. It's the, to me, it's the orderly and planned transfer over time of uh, organising the work schedule, of management responsibility, of ownership of the business, the stock and plant, and of eventual ownership of land. It's about that transition over time from one individual or group to another individual or group. And there's a lot of issues that have got to be sorted through in order for that to happen. Uh, issues of management responsibility. Are there, are there going to be role reversals between the generations of who's going to own the land? Of um, the older generations got a big house and now a little family and the younger generations got a bigger family and a smaller house. Um, if we swap, um, whose house is it now? Is it the is it the next generation's house to do what they like with? And is the garden theirs to do what they want to do? All of those issues take a lot of sorting through. There's also a lot of emotion, and you've mentioned that there, a lot of emotion tied up in the decision-making. Why does it, I don't know whether I'm right or not, but why does it seem easier for somebody who's running the Mitre 10 store in, in um, parks to sort out the succession plan than it is for a family farm. In fact, is that the case or is that just an imagination? No, I think that's uh, people who work in Australian agriculture think that the issues of families in business are peculiar to Australian agriculture. So firstly, it's a phenomenon that you see in agriculture worldwide. And secondly, it's a phenomenon which you see in families in business worldwide. So it doesn't matter what the business is, there will be many of the same issues, not necessarily the same attachment to, to place, uh, not necessarily the same attachment that uh, the head office is also our home, but very similar issues of if we keep the business in the family, we're really going to hand it on to one child, uh, other children aren't particularly interested in it. If we sold the business and distributed the money, they'd get a lot more money. So those issues of families in business uh, transcend all businesses and all sizes of business. In in some work I've been doing in a in a study on this, we have done a number of case studies with farms with asset values down to between two and three million dollars and up to nearly 400 million. Well, that's more than one farm, obviously. And the issues in those families have been exactly the same. Who's going to go on running it? Who's going to own it in future? What share are we going to have? What are we going to do for the people who aren't involved in the farm? How are we going to organise the transition of management? Those issues are the same. More money at stake in the bigger ones. Same issues. So in, in your response there, you talked a lot of it about family and business. Is it is it simply separating the two and, and treating it as a business? Because if it was a business owned by shareholders who were um, not emotionally involved, do they find it easier to manage that transition in, in, or the succession in farming? No, it's, a bit, it's, it's about family business. So first of all, think about shareholders in a shareholder company, a listed company. Uh, I can buy or sell those shares. 
I've got no relationship with the person I buy them from. I have no relationship with the person I sell them to. If I make money and they lose money, that doesn't matter. You know, I don't have any ongoing relationship. In any family business, and it's particularly true in a farm, we decide that we want to have family members work in the business. So let's imagine we've got a a farm and we've been a livestock operation and we're going to start doing a lot of cropping. So we need to have somebody to manage the cropping. If we've got a family member who's available to work on the farm, unless that person actively doesn't want to, they will end up managing the cropping. If we went into the open market and said, how can we find somebody to manage this cropping program for us? Would we be able to find somebody who is better at it, more knowledgeable, will work harder, whatever? We would almost, or very often, be able to find somebody who will do a better job than the family member. But in the family, we don't don't employ them. No, you don't have that option. You don't have that option. Or we say, this is a business, and you've got to treat Mm. it as a business. And and the uh, next generation who's um, supposed to be uh, doing, uh, you know, we're shearing in September and they're, and they're supposed to be involved in shearing in September, but they're involved in the grand final of the football competition and they need to go away for three days because the grand, it's, you know, it's a way away. Um, we say, oh, well, we'll cover for you. You, you know, you, you might do that with an employee, but it's a very different story. It is a different story. So, in, uh, I mean, I've got personal experience in this area because I grew up on a farm and I observed that really the succession planning, which was going to be driven by, obviously, my parents, um, they, in my my view, they took the view that We'll just put it off. And then it got to the point where it was being put off for too long. When should succession planning start? Well, I think that's the wrong question. Oh, well, <laughs> thanks for correcting me. Let, tell me what question I should ask, Mike. So people will often say it's too early to start succession planning. The kids aren't old enough yet. I'm not sure what the kids want to do. And that's okay. That's, that's fair enough. But it is not too early, it is never too early for parents to start to plan for succession. So when people first get together as a couple and and start farming on their own account, if they want to be able to provide options, they need to start planning for succession then, right at the beginning. They won't do a succession plan until the kids are maybe in their 15, 20, maybe even 25. You know, it, it, the succession plan itself can wait as long as they've got sufficient capital to have choices because it's a long-term game. If, if you want to set up two or three children, educate them, uh, get one of them started in farming and get another couple of children started off in whatever their pursuit is, maybe it's farming, maybe it's something else, and you want them all to have an equitable opportunity to use your assets, um, 
you've got to grow those assets. You've got to grow them significantly, more with three children than with two, more than four than with two, obviously. So it's a long-term game where you've got to be concentrating on building the capital asset, either on-farm or off, so you've got choices. So should the, 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 that, those parents who are starting up in that example you just gave, should they be planning for their ultimate retirement from the business or their, their capacity to retire from the business if they require? Is that what you're saying? I think there are three there are three main aims shared by farming families who want the farm to stay in the family and and a fourth which sort of sits to the side a bit. So the first three are to have funds for retirement if I want to retire. In other words, not to be dependent on the farm financially when it's ready to retire. To have a viable farm business uh, which I can hand on to the next generation, albeit with debt, but viable, and to make sure that all the members of the next generation are happy with the arrangement uh, that their self-interest is satisfied. So those three main aims are pretty universal for people who see that they want to stay, the farm to stay in the family. The fourth aim is to try and get a split of assets which is near to equitable. Now, not everybody shares those aims. For some people, the farm is my superannuation. Uh, I'm going to go on farming. Until I retire, I will sell the farm, and that's my superannuation fund. And if they're the rules that a family's brought up with, and everybody understands that they're the rules, and nobody's come home to work for 10 or 15 years on the understanding that the farm was going to be theirs one day, well, those rules are fine. So that's perfectly legitimate for people to take that course of action. What I want to see is that it's it's clear that the, that the children know this farm is only going to be in the family until the parents retire or we want the farm to stay in the family and we need to build the assets for it to happen. Yes, and, and I can see where that, that can really help, where there is that clarity. You mentioned that everybody needs to know, so all the people who are affected need to know. And I guess the earlier the better, because if you're, um, if you're a 17 or 18-year-old young fellow who loves driving a tractor, and you know that's the case, then you'll need to make other arrangements, and you may focus on other things. Yeah, I'd, I'd, hope, I'd hope that you'd know when you were 10 or 12 um, that it was going to happen, not... not uh, at 17 when you'd already spent all your school holidays driving the tractor and you'd fallen yeah. in love with driving the tractor. You know, I, I think that there is no reason um, that, the, that the parents can't say, this is our intention. It actually then gives the, the uh, children as they're growing up the opportunity to say, well, are you sure? You know, I mean, have you thought about, they wouldn't do it at 17, but certainly by 18 or 20, have you thought about some of these other alternatives that, uh, if if the if the subject has been raised and the intention has been made clear, it gives people the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, and talking about it's the key thing. And I, and as we know in families, sometimes that's the biggest challenge is actually to to focus on that. So I guess what you're coming to though is there needs to be a formal way of doing it. It's not it's not an informal off the cuff. You know, she'll be right. You know the farm's okay. It needs to be more formalised and um, and I guess discussed. If we were to look at, let, let's say there are three. I might be wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But let's say there are three scenarios. One is where there's a family 
farming family that has got their succession plan correct and everyone's happy. Everybody knows where they are. You know, people have gone to school or they come back and work or whatever, they know where they are. Let's take the other, there's two other scenarios though. One is where somebody hasn't started yet and one is where some where a family has started but stalled. What's your advice? Let's take the first one where they haven't started yet. What are some of the initial steps they should take? We'll start to um, seek some external advice uh, on how to go about succession planning. Uh, start to engage the children uh, in conversations, but be uh, careful about the way that's done. Uh, certainly don't bring everybody together early in the piece to um, have a big powwow about it because uh, people can get hurt, people can say things that they didn't mean and things can't be unsaid. So if, if people haven't started, to actually um, just start to talk to a professional just to see what some of the options might be because often an outside pair of eyes can see options that the people inside the business can't see. For the for the just before you go off that that group, who should lead that? Does it have to be the the father and the mother, or can can siblings actually initiate and and start that conversation? Siblings can, but but uh, so the children of the of the owning generation can, but that can be very frustrating. At, at, at the end of the day, if the generation that holds the keys has the titles doesn't want to uh, be part of this process, uh, it's very difficult to get them to be part of the process. So it's it's much better if the... And it could be that the children or the siblings uh, talk to the parents and say, look, it would be really good if you could start this process. But in the, in the event that they don't want to, it just becomes very frustrating mm. then for that generation. Sometimes what uh, well what we will do is to uh, write a letter, having engaged with the with the siblings with Generation Two. Uh, we will write a letter to Generation Two, which is really written for Generation One. Yeah, and and Generation Two will uh, share the letter. They'll say, you know, I've got this letter from Mike Stevens. Blah, blah. Um, so that enables people to just sort of start yeah. to look at it. Um, and, and that letter's written in a very non-threatening way. And we don't... It's really important, uh, I think, that professionals who work in this area, we don't tell people what to do. We don't say, uh, you know, this is the course of action that you should take. What we do is to, uh, once we understand the situation, try and tease out all of the choices that they've got available to them and start to show them some of the options, uh, some of the some of the, the the good things and the bad things about those various choices, so that they're in a position to be able to make decisions. Mm. I think, yeah, I think you use a term where you actually go through and road test the the scenario as well. Yeah, we yes, we road test. So once we've we've uh, worked with a family and and we uh, as succession planners will only work if we can work in tandem. Or together with the family lawyer and the family accountant, because there will be a whole lot of accountancy issues and often some legal issues that we need to be very aware of, and there's no point in us doing that work again if it's already been done. 
So we, we, we work in conjunction with those other professionals to come up with a team approach. To just take you back to the, to the uh, people who have started the plan yeah. and failed. Which, which, Mike, I suspect is probably a, a very big cohort. I mean, what, what you come across in, in our time working with, with families is you see these tensions and, and sometimes you know that everybody's smart in the business. There's a lot of smart people out there. So you know they've actually been an attempt yeah. to actually deal with this, but it gets complicated, it gets tough, it gets tricky. And oh, then there's shearing. Let's go and do shearing. That's yeah. straightforward. That's simple. And it's coming back to it, which is quite often difficult. Yeah, and takes a lot of time. Yes, and and then we need to look at at why it failed. So, and and it it failed for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, sometimes a succession pl- uh, plan fails because uh, dad, um, usually dad, went and talked to a professional, often his accountant or the lawyer mumbled something about succession planning and that person on their own with the with dad with the the owner of the business said well we can sort that out for you and uh what we'll do is to uh move the land into a trust we'll get your superannuation here we'll do this 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 we'll uh um uh, make the son a partner in the business uh so bang 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 here's the things we can do all done succession plan finished and, and what they've done is to develop some business structures which might be quite useful from a succession planning point of view. But unless all of the people, unless the needs and aspirations of each family member in each generation are clearly understood and whether where those aspirations are not able to be fully met, but people understand why they haven't been able to be fully met, Unless though all of those things are done, it's it's not a succession plan at all. It's a it's a business plan to change the business mm. structures. So that's one reason that people fail. Another reason they fail is uh, they get this decision point of if we're going to keep the farm intact, it's going to be far from equal. Oh, I don't know that we can go there, so we stop because. Uh, in that situation, the person isn't uh, prepared to confront the issue and say to everybody, um, we want the farm to stay in the family. That is going to mean that the division of assets is not equal. So we all understand that, that's, that they are now the rules. And, and not only understand, but agree to it. Understand it first. Getting them to agree to it is another matter. It is actually often the parent's assets, so it's, it's, it's their decision. So the next, uh, the, I, th- I think the next um, point of failure is where people simply haven't been realistic. Um, I've got a syringe at, at home, one of those big pet stream, pet, stream pet, <laughs> pet. <laughs> anyway, a syringe. A syringe. Um, a big syringe. A big syringe, which uh, is Im- embossed with the re- word realism on the side. And every now and then I'll get it out and I say, here, I'll give you a big shot of realism. <laughs> you know, we, people need to be realistic. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, if, if, if all of the assets are in the farm and somebody's got four kids and they want the assets to be divided equally and they want the farm to be viable and it's an 800-hectare farm, um, get real. 
That's right. And and sometimes, I mean, you look at maybe an easy out is to say, okay, if two of you want to farm and two of you don't want to farm and you want it to be fair, we will sell this farm and you take your asset, your share of the farm, if you like, and go and do your farming and you take your share of the farm and go and live in Melbourne or Sydney. But, I mean, that is a really uh, clinical, easy way to look at things. In reality, though, we are talking about emotions and and people's emotions. And you've also got this thing of, uh, and I know my mother said the same, said the thing. On one stage, I had a conversation and said, well, mum, you could just sell it. And she said, her comment was, we didn't put this together to sell. Mm. I don't know whether she thought nobody would ever sell it or mm. will never get sold, but that is something people don't want to be the ones that have sold the family farm. And and before you go into that point, Mike, let me. Uh, there is another scenario, scenario where you're the fourth generation who's had the farm. You're going to be the one who sells it. Yeah, so those expectations of the, you know, to be in the farm for a number of generations are um, very difficult for people if, if, if they want to sell. It depends. If they, if they substantially bought it, I'd say, well, it's up to them whether they sell it. If it's been given to them and their siblings got a very small share because they got the farm, I can understand that... Uh, but you know, it's certainly up to them. Four generations sounds uh, sounds a lot. You know, we've got seven dealing with one at the moment, where uh, the seventh generation is on the ground. Um, we think that's good. But I visited a family in Spain where generation thirty three is on the ground. They moved onto the farm in eleven ninety nine. So we're pretty new to it here. The issues that uh, people need to think about there are. Uh, is it is it going to be, you know, does it have to be this farm? And if it does have to be this farm, I hope they don't fall for the trap of saying, well, look, we'll, we, we've got some assets we'll give to the two non-farming children, so we'll get the other two farming children, and they can be tenants in common in the land. They can own it jointly. Because all that's doing is transferring the problem to the next generation. So by all means, if you want if you want uh, more than one of the children to own the farm, uh, set it up so they do, but think about how they can have different parcels of land which they own. It's not hard to set up a business so that, say, two brothers each have some land which had all been part of one farm before. Or two sisters, Mike. Or two sisters, or a brother and a sister, or any other... Whatever, so I'm, show, I'm showing my bias here. Because no, 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 no. I beg your pardon. You're quite right. Um, I should have. Yeah. So it's not hard to see how how two siblings can have uh, a, a an equal share in a business which leases land from them as individuals and pays them a lease. So the business is all thrown together: stock, plant, systems, all that thrown together, but they each own the land. Now, people, oh, they, they, they fight and claw against doing that, but what it's done is to do them a great favour because otherwise, how does one of them get out if they want to? How does, you know, it, it, is, it is really difficult when you're welded together. The other thing I really entreat parents to do before they go down that trap track is to get somebody, not the parent, but somebody to ask the siblings whether they would choose to be in business with your sibling. 
would you choose to be in business with your sibling? And if the answer to that is, well, not sure, well, do you think you can make it work? Mm. Or is it no way I get on really well with my sibling socially and we enjoy each other's company, but there is no way I could be in business with him or her? Now, sometimes that's the case. Good idea for the parents to find that out. It certainly is. Now, if if we were going to, in, in your experience that you've had in, in working with family farm businesses to, to do this, what's one thing you would hope that everybody comes to this discussion with to begin with? What is the one thing that you really is not negotiable that you really need to bring to the, the table? I'll be open to possibilities. Be open to the possibility that one person has been working on the farm and is is accepting responsibility for his or her parents in old age and, and so should get a greater share. To be open to the possibility that the person who's working on the farm might be much better off if the farm was sold now rather than later. Right, yeah. To be open to the possibility that the split of assets may not be equal, to be open to the possibility of using some net present value, future value calculations so that the farmer and the family can be given some land with which to borrow on which to borrow money to buy out siblings now at a discount, to be open to all of those possibilities. So it's 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 a specialist area to look at for a business, isn't it? It's a specialist area, just like figuring out, you know, what crop to plant in the rotation. It, it's so, but it's so important to the to the, not just the future of the business, but the future of the family relationships. Yes, I think uh, I haven't put it in these terms before, but um, people with with large farming businesses don't hesitate to pay an agronomist, a fair amount of money to help them with this crop, which is really part of a rotation. But this year, the advice is on this crop. So think about that from succession planning point of view and think about here is the rotation, but it's probably a 30-year rotation. Yeah. yeah. So think about whether or not you should put... Uh, the energy into, or 30 times the energy, into a 30-year rotation that you put into a one-year rotation of getting a crop in, up and harvested. Think about that from the, ter- from the point of view of the business. Think of it from the point of view of the land asset. But most importantly, think of it from the point of view of the people. It's really sad to, to be in the Supreme Court and to see people walking in on both sides of the Supreme Court, not looking at each other. Some other people in the court really comfortable, people in wigs and gowns, used to being there, chatting to each other across the sides of the court. It's their it's their hunting ground. But for members who had for people who had been members of a close family, to be sitting on either side of the court and not to be able to look at each other while not the final chapter, mm. the second final chapter in this 
family saga plays out. The final chapter is the auction. But the Supreme Court's bad enough. Yeah. So it's been a really good conversation. It's uh, it's a topic that um, everybody knows we should focus more on in agriculture, and and we know it because of the the, the sad stories, the the tragic stories. So, Mike, this has been really interesting talking about this. Um, it's a topic that we know we should focus more on. Um, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks very much for being on Mercado Commodity Conversations. Um, we're yet to go viral with one of our publications, but maybe this is the one where we go viral. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'm not sure about going viral. <laughs> uh, look, it's been uh, great to um, yarn to you about it, Rob. It, it really is important, and too many people put it off. Uh, look, we, one, one of the things we should have said is there are some, you don't hear the good news stories. No. And there are some good news stories. There are some fantastic stories there, but you never hear about them. It's only the bad ones you hear about. That's right. And that's probably a plug to say to get somebody involved in your business who has been involved in other stories because they will have the experience of not only the, the tragic experience, which we all look at when the, when the sale goes up and the, and the families disintegrate, but they'll have the experience of where it's gone well and they can use that. That's right. Thanks, Mike. It's been great. Thanks, Rob.